Pastor Xavier Reese with this picture of hope and help. Noah stands here in sharp contrast to the proclamation of utter destruction. He is the tinge of hope in the hopeless world to bring rest and comfort to the new world. He is the expression of mercy in the midst of judgment. Grace towards Noah here is foreshadowing the age of grace to come. As Noah escaped the wrath to come, so the church will escape the wrath to come through the rapture. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Scripture speaks of God's incredible patience and unsurpassed loving kindness, but God is also a God of justice. So where's the dividing line between these attributes? Today, Pastor Xavier helps us get a handle on the effects of sin on man and the judgment that is soon to follow. Let's join him as he continues this study from the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 5, verses 28 to chapter 6, verse 8, in the message entitled, The Great Evil of Noah's Days. And what we want to do is look to Noah from the world that he lived in by looking at three recorded facts about him. The proximity of Adam to the days of Noah we find in verse 28 to 32 of chapter 5. Then secondly, we have the perversity of marriage in the days of Noah, verse 1 and 4 of chapter 6. And then thirdly, we have the propensity of evil in the days of Noah in verse 5 through 8. The proximity of Adam to the days of Noah, very, very important, because sometimes we think that it was way too long. Well, we're going to see exactly what the record says here. Notice verse 28 to 29 that the generation of Noah's father was the ninth generation from Adam. Noah's father's name was Lamech, as you know. He's of the line of Seth, those who are walking with God. He begot Noah, as it says here in verse 28, at a ripe old age of 802 years old. In verse 29, notice that he gave his son the name Noah, which means rest and comfort. We've talked about this before. The name of Noah was prophetic of the coming judgment as we look to the record. The consequences of the fall were still fresh in the minds of man, though it had been 1,056 years at this point. When you live 900, 1,056, no big deal. <laughs> still in the fresh, in the mind of man. Noah's great-grandfather was Enoch, as you know. He was translated. He walked with God, as we saw in chapter 5, verse 24. Great heritage. Noah's grandfather was Methuselah. His name means when he dies, the end comes. So he had a great heritage, chapter 5, verse 27. He lived 969 years, the longest living. He died the day of the flood. So he comes from good stock, but he had to make a choice himself. It wasn't automatic. Even though Noah was born in 1056 B.C., 126 years after Adam's death, which would be 930 B.C., and 14 years from the death of Seth in 1042 B.C., the connection is close because listen to the line that follows. Enoch lived 308 years as a contemporary with Adam. 308 years. Methuselah lived 243 years as a contemporary with Adam. Lamech, Noah's father, lived 56 years as a contemporary with Adam. Eight 
of the ten generations were alive at his birth with the exception of Adam and Seth. The information was fresh. Noah had first-hand knowledge about the creation, about the fall, about the murder of Abel, about Enoch being taken up without dying. The proximity of Noah to Adam was relatively close if you really look at the record. Now, notice what follows the proximity. The perversity of the marriages in the days of Noah, chapter 6, verse 1 through 4. Verse 1 and 2, the angelic and the human activity on the earth is recorded. Verse 2, the sons of God saw the daughters of men and they were beautiful. There are three or four basic interpretations as to who the sons of God are. The phrase sons of God, throughout the Old Testament, it's only used for angels. Job chapter 1 verse 6, Job chapter 2 verse 1, Psalm 29 1, Psalm 89 6, and also Job 38 7. Even Daniel 3.25 has an angelic theophany there. And they all refer to angels. Now, we do find other phrases in the Old Testament as children of God or people's relationship to God, but not this particular phrase. Now, the sons of God, it says they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. The simple and the most obvious understanding is that these angels entered into a marriage covenant. It sounds bizarre, but hang on, okay? Let's follow it. The sin is parallel to that of the garden, which was forbidden in chapter 3, verse 6. The sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were beautiful. As Eve, the fruit, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye. The sons of God took wives, notice that, for themselves of all whom they chose. As Eve, the pride of life. I want it. You take it. Now, the text does not imply any forcing of the women, but implies a consent of the will, both of the fathers as well as the women. Interesting. Now, look at verse 3. The divine verdict on the angel, angelic activity on the earth is given. God declared that his spirit would not strive with man forever. God's spirit convicts us. God's spirit tries to stop us from getting into evil. God's spirit tries to save man, turn him from their sin. God is working, trying to turn man. God says, it's going to be over. Both implying here the end of God's spirit with man to turn him from his sin, death, and ultimate judgment. God, therefore, notice at the end of verse 3 there, declares a set time period for judgment for the destruction of the human race. There's only 120 years before judgment comes. Look at verse 4. The inhabitants were said to be giants on the earth in those days and also afterwards. Now the word giants, Nephilims, comes from the word nafal, to fall, to cast down. The general consensus is that it is referring to vicious people, attackers, warriors. Notice the giants were present. Here's the phrase, in those days and afterwards. Now that's been interpreted different ways. I believe that it means pre-flood, indicating the period that these angels, the sons of God, came into the daughters of men and bore children, 
not after the flood, but during the 100-year period of grace remaining for the flood. The context is very specific. It was during this time that God speaks and describes this thing that grieved him so much that was occurring. It was during this time. It was because of these unions. The phrase came into is a euphemism for sexual intercourse, just like Adam knew his wife, a euphemism for sexual intercourse. The outcome was the children born to this union. Now, we know that Satan's ministers can transform themselves into angels of light to do their bidding, 2 Corinthians eleven fifteen, and a spiritual warfare. Now, a stronger evidence than the New Testament. It confirms the interpretation. And if we didn't have these two texts, I would not even buy it. But listen well. The phrase sons of God, again, you know, is used for the Christian in the New Testament. Those who are born again but never in the Old Testament. I repeat it again. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 through 5, Peter tells us that certain angels were so vile that God incarcerated them with chains in darkness in Tartarus. That's the name. Somewhere is a place where these vile angels are chained in darkness, never to be loosed until the judgment. And they are associated in 2 Peter 2, 4, and 5, with the days of Noah and Sodom and Gomorrah of sexual promiscuity. Jude confirms this. In Jude, and there's only one chapter, verse 6 and 7, Jude identifies certain angels who kept not their first estate, the fallen angels, with the sexual sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, going after strange flesh. Whoa. So the New Testament commentary affirms this. It may be hard for me to accept or believe, but the New Testament identifies these fallen angels, some fallen angels, with sexual sin. Pretty heavy. The perversity of the marriages in the days of Noah were angelic. Now notice thirdly, verse 5 through 8. You have the propensity of evil in the days of Noah. Verse 5, the divine knowledge of man's evil is given. The Lord saw the wickedness of man that was great on the earth. He observed through the time of the man's existence, the full awareness, the reality of what's going on. God knows everything. But he always says he sees, he, he looks, he comes down. He observed and he knew the extent of evil. You and I don't know the extent of our evil. He does. Now the contrast, uh, don't, don't miss it. As God saw that everything when he created was good and very good, now he sees it wicked. The creator brought into existence everything out of nothing, from chaos and disorder into order and harmony in life. Now man has put it back to chaos and disorder by the hand of man. And so the Lord saw every intent of the thought of his heart was evil. Listen, continually. The extent of man's depravity is very explicit. It never changes. For men love darkness rather than light. John 3, 19. Darkness attracts us. There's none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3, 10, and 11. Now, we do have a potential for good, but our bend, our propensity is towards evil. Very, very clear. Now, notice in verse 6, the divine sorrow over man's evil is given to us. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and the word sorry means to change one's mind. The root word means to breathe deeply. 
displaying one's emotions, usually with sorrow, with the idea of changing one's attitude. And it's used like that. And some people have a problem when it says, and God repented. Some of you are all translating may say, God repented. But it's a change of attitude. God is consistent in his love towards man, in the expression of his love and holiness. And he must be one in accord with that attribute. He does not change. But he cannot approve sin because he's holy. Numbers 23, 19, God's not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. So you and I repent, we change our mind in one way, but when God changes as he repents, it, it grieves him. He's trying, he's, we're using human language to describe what God is doing. He is consistent. Therefore, it is man who has changed from living under God's word and provisions for fellowship with God. He now has chosen to live apart from God further and further, and therefore God cannot ignore the evil. He must judge the evil because he is holy. And he cannot look upon it with approval. God made man and the earth for both of them to be one. The earth was a benefit for man. Man was to enjoy the earth. But man had corrupted both himself and the earth. You see, the nature of fire never changes. What changes is the material that you put in it. If I put wood in fire, consumes it. If I put gold, it purifies it. Has the fire changed? No. Fire is fire. When people line themselves up with God, God blesses. God is pleased. But when you are not lined up with God, then you're against God. And he's holy. And you're sinful. Wood. Consume. And so notice the Lord was grieved in his heart. And the word grieved means to be vexed, to be displeased. You know what I'm talking about. You're a parent. You love your children, and then they do some dumb things, and it grieves you. Hmm. The word is used to express the most intense form of human emotions, a mixture of rage and bitter anguish. When David cried out for the death of Absalom, hurting, this is gone. Even as he told Adam, where art thou, Adam, with a broken heart? And so the idea is one of feeling pain over the life choices of man regarding evil. And notice the expression is supplemented by in his heart. God had already given the prophetic rest and relief from the work by Noah, his name, comfort. His disappointment with the creation. Now look at verse 7. The divine sentence over man's evil is stated. God promised judgment. I will destroy man whom I have created, bara, from nothing, from the face of the earth. The word destroy means to wipe out or to blot out, literally obliterate. The word is used for erasing a name from a record, Exodus 17, 14, Exodus 32, 32, and 33, to erase, obliterate. Both man and beast, creeping thing, birds of the air, the reverse of Genesis 1 and 2. God says, for I am sorry, I have made Asa out of existing material. He created out of nothing, borrow material, then he assembles some. Them. God always warns of coming judgment. He did to Noah. He did to Egypt, Eli, Israel, Babylon. Amos 3, 7 says, God does nothing except he reveal it first by his prophets. 
God has warned New Testament that he's coming back for judgment. People ignore it. People mock it. People ridicule it. He has given warning. You and I at the church are a beacon light to the world. That God is coming to judge the world. God's judgment is always based on man's wickedness. His sin against God and his fellow man. And so notice lastly in verse 8, the divine exception among men's evils is given. But Noah stands here in sharp contrast to the proclamation of utter destruction. He is the tinge of hope in the hopeless world to bring rest and comfort to the new world. He is the expression of mercy in the midst of judgment. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the first time grace appears, but it is not the first time grace is imparted. For Adam and Eve received grace as God forgave them. Grace is something we don't deserve. Grace towards Noah here is foreshadowing the age of grace to come, the church age. They will escape the wrath to come, Romans 5, 9, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. As Noah escaped the wrath to come, so the church will escape the wrath to come through the rapture. Notice the phrase, define favor. It's an expression for prayer being heard by God. Genesis 18, 3, Exodus 33, 12, and other places. When a man would seek God and he finds favor, that means he hears them and he answers. Noah alone and his family would be saved. Now listen what the prophet Ezekiel says about Noah. As you know, he's in Babylon. He says, even though Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, as I live, saith the Lord God, they would deliver neither son nor daughter. They would deliver only themselves by their righteousness. Israel was so corrupt, he says that none of them will be delivered. And he uses Noah as one of deliverance. Ezekiel believed in the flood. <laughs> in Florida, an atheist became incensed over the preparation for Easter and Passover holidays and decided to contact the local ACLU about the discrimination of, inflicted on atheists by the constant celebration afforded to Christians and Jews with all their holidays while the atheists had no holiday to celebrate. The ACLU jumped up at the opportunity, as always they do, and once picked up the case. The case was brought before a wise judge who, after listening to a long, passionate presentation of the ACLU lawyers, promptly banged the gavel and declared, case dismissed. The lead ACLU lawyer immediately stood and objected to the ruling and said, quote, Your Honor, how can you possibly dismiss this case? Surely the Christians have Christmas, Easter, and many other observance. And the Jews, why, in addition to Passover, they have Yom Kippur, they have Hanukkah, and yet my client and all other atheists have no such holidays. The judge leaned forward in his chair and simply said, quote, Obviously, your client is too confused to know about, or for that matter, even celebrate the atheist holiday. The ACLU lawyer pompously said, we are aware of no such holiday for atheists. Just when might that be, Your Honor? The judge said, quote, Well, it comes every year exactly the same date, April 1st. <laughs> the fool has said in his heart, There's no God. 
I love it. I love to see that Lord's face. <laughs> the evil that goes on today is just as wicked as in the days of Noah, if not worse. Listen to the words of Jesus, one of the earmarks of his coming. Matthew 24, 37 through 39. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking. This is their preoccupation. People will go dying. That's how they're into food. They're into clothing. They're into this. Marrying and giving in marriage. They marry, they divorce, they remarry, they divorce, they marry, they divorce. Until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know the flood came and they took them away, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. There's a parallel. Luke 17, 28 through 30. Listen. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot. That's another parallel. They ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planned, they built. Ooh, those are characteristics of Noah's days. But on that day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Two parallels. A concentration on self. Rejection of God. Sexual promiscuity and perversity. Life as usual. Buying, selling, marrying. Stock market, this, that. <laughs> the sorrow and heart of God is the same today as in the days of Noah. And he's just as patient. And he will equally judge all. Listen to 2 Peter 2, 4 through 7. For if God did not spare the angel who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered in the chains, Tartarus, those are the angels, vile, in darkness, chain in darkness, to be reserved for judgment. And I believe they're talking about these in Genesis 6. And did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah. There's a connection. One of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those afterwards would live ungodly and deliver righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. Second Peter 2, 4 through 7. There's the identification, the association. Now, the ones who are the exception to the coming judgment are those who are under grace like Noah. Listen to Hebrews eleven seven. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. He moved in belief and trust that what God revealed, he was going to perform. Whether it made sense to him or not, he acted on God's revelation. This was Noah in the world that he lived in by these three recorded facts. The proximity of Adam to the days of Noah was relatively close, even as ours. It's not billions and trillions of years the way this, the evolutionists say. We live in a young earth. The perversity of marriages in the days of Noah were angelic. The text is clear. The propensity of evil in the days of Noah was continuously. Look at the parallels today, people. You have to be blind to not see it. All the stuff that goes on, goes on either by the Spirit of God 
or by the spirit of Satan. There are two families, First John says, family of God, family of the devil. You get to choose which family you want to belong to by God's grace. We can never fault God. The days that we live in are very, very evil. I think they're parallel. I think the Lord's at the door. Pastor Xavier Reese with an important exhortation regarding the soon return of the Lord. And you can request a copy of today's challenging study called The Great Evil of Noah's Day. It's available on CD for just $4. Now, the title to ask for once again is The Great Evil of Noah's Day, or simply mention today's date when you write. Now, here's how to reach us. Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you contact us. Can you find hope in a rainbow? Discover how when you tune into the next edition of Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com